listening to the Poster Boy Podcast. Our mission is to help young entrepreneurs in small town America start, grow, and manage 21st century businesses. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey, this is Chad. Hey, and this is Drew. Today we have a special podcast. We're actually going to be interviewing Bob Egger. Bob, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Bob Egger. I uh, own and operate Central Iowa Sports, which is a tournament company for youth, uh, fast pitch, baseball, and we do a little basketball. I'm also very involved with USA and uh, serve on as a vice president and uh, enjoy really hosting events and uh, working with coaches and teams. And that, that sounds fascinating. We're, Bob, today we're going to ask you a whole host of questions. I'm sure you've got a really unique experience and a perspective that our audience will be interested in. Before we dive in, though, let me ask you, Chad, tell me, how did you meet Bob and what role has he played in your life? Well, you know, as much as I don't always admit it, without Bob, I actually probably wouldn't be where I am today. So as far as my experience with Bob and the way our business works is we work at sporting events across the country. And the, the number one company that we work with is USSA. And all of those opportunities came from Bob and it started way back. I mean, at this point, it was 10, 12 years ago at this point. I'm not really sure. Uh, we reached out to Bob and, and he had someone that was doing some action photos at, at one of his events and we really wanted to come out and he gave us a small park to see what we could do. And we came out and we worked as hard as we could and we were by no means perfect. But I think uh, Bob enjoyed chatting with us and we had some fun. And I think he saw a little bit in us that, you know, we were going to try and do something. And over time, we worked with Bob and he allowed us to experiment on things. And he was actually the first event that we ever printed on site at, which, you know, we all know today looking forward is that that changed everything in, in my personal life and our company and really in the industry as a whole. So now today, if you don't print on site, you're pretty much obsolete. And the truth is, without Bob giving us the opportunity with USSA and allowing us to work with him, we wouldn't have made some of the money that we made in the beginning. I love it, Chad. Maybe, Bob, I know I want to ask you, how did you get started? But tell me about your first interaction with Chad. How long ago was it? What was your first thought? Just tell me about the overall experience working with Chad. Well, I think, uh, like you said, it was probably about 12, 15 years ago, and uh, I was running tournaments, and I was new to running tournaments, so I had a phone call from this guy and they wanted to come in and do some posters and some pictures and heck I was new to it. So I thought, heck, let's give it a chance. You know, I can make some, I might be able to make some extra cash and stuff. So, um, what I can remember is I believe they were driving a big white van and they come over and, and from that moment on, I, I really thought he was kind of a hippie-ish kind of guy and, and free, free will guy. And, just love talking to me, just pure energy. And from that time on, you know, we really got to know each other. You know, Drew, Drew, I want to add something in on that. Okay. I want to add. So, you know, for anyone starting out, if you're listening, one of the things that, that you do in the beginning is you have to find people you can lean on that, that can mentor you. And while, even though Bob was just starting out, we didn't know that. And one thing we knew is that Bob knew more than us. And so, you know, when we found someone that would answer questions, we were really good at asking them. And so in the beginning, whenever you, whenever you do find someone that, that is willing to help you and it is a step ahead of where you are, the fastest way to get there is to ask them questions and try to avoid their mistakes. And so that's something that we try and lean on Bob often, even to this day, 
you know, Bob has found a way to outgrow us continuously. So we feel like just we're oh, hanging out in his shadow, I love just, it. just trying to no, be Bob awesome. when we grow up. Bob, how did you get started <laughs> in, in this in this world? Uh, I moved to Des Moines 30 years ago. Um, my kids were young and decided to sign them up for baseball. So we went to a local little league. I signed them up as a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And, um, you know, just started coaching them. And the first after our first season, I loved it. And I was talked into being president of the Little League. So I spent three years or four years as a Little League president. And we actually ran a, a month-long tournament then called the Ed Rivera Classic. It was an AAU tournament. Um, so we were running that, and I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed interacting with coaches and parents and uh, kids. Uh, we heard about a uh, tournament in Kansas City. So we took our Little League team of our select little players. We went to Kansas City, and it was a U-Triple-A tournament. And we ended up getting our butts kicked. Um, <laughs> and I found out there's a lot more baseball to just AAU and Little League. Um, so after running the Ed Rivera tournament, I went to a softball complex in Des Moines and, and booked it for three days or three weekends. And it was new. Nobody else would book Raccoon River Park. So um, back in those days, it was probably 2004. Uh, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have all the luxuries we do today. So it was no like kidding. getting home from work and see if you got an entry form in the mail uh, <laughs> be because you couldn't do it via the internet and stuff. And, you know, back then I would, couldn't wait to get home from work to check my uh, mailbox, my mailbox <laughs> and, and check my phone to see if I had any messages so I could call coaches back. But, you know, back then we ran tournaments and uh, you, You'd mail out the uh, schedules, and you'd in the mail. You'd mail them out in the oh in the mail, God. and you'd have to have all the coaches come back on Saturday nights and see what time they played on Sunday, because you didn't have the internet. So, oh my God, two thousand four, I actually started Central Iowa Sports, uh, and I got lucky, and it was perfect timing where UCCA asked me to be a state director. So not only do I run a tournament business, I'm also the state director for UCCA, which is a national uh, sanctioning body. Uh, so every I started communicating with other people that were running tournaments, and we all have a cooperation between us now that we all run UCCA. So back then, you know, it was a lot of time in the car and meeting a lot of people and and starting to starting the whole process of getting a lot of people on board to play the same kind of baseball we were so from 2004 to today we went from zero teams in iowa to having almost 1500 baseball about a thousand fast pitch teams and having about 100 tournament directors running new trip today in the state and probably close to between baseball and fast pitch have over 7,000 teams playing in tournaments in Iowa. You know, okay. So, so one thing I, I want to chime in on, on Bob's history and what he's done, because for a lot of people that are listening that aren't experienced, that don't have a lot of experience in the tournament world today to run a tournament with USSA, it is as easy as, you know, and, and let me just, I'm going to really dumb this down, but it's as simple as having a park with some dates and posting it online and team signing up. It's that easy. Whereas before, everything Bob had to do, you have to imagine not having the iPhone, right? Not having, e not having really email. Computers. Yeah, not even having computers at that point, or okay? Emails, no. And so 
it, it's what's so great about Bob's story, and it's so much more fun for me to talk about and, and so exciting for us to hear is because he was able to survive the technology boom. And as opposed to, you know, a lot of people, as they grow, they try to keep things that, with, with what they're comfortable with. They embraced it. And today, I can honestly say, and I can say this probably safer than any person in the United States when it comes to tournaments, as many as I've been to, Central Iowa Sports and Bob Egger, they run the most organized sports in the entire country. They have probably the highest retention rate of teams and the highest quality and satisfaction rating of any tournament we ever attend, which, you know, from a vending perspective, People aren't angry about the event, so therefore they don't want to remember it, so they don't purchase our products. When we work with Bob, that's not even something you consider. But at other events, believe it or not, it's a true reality that we face often. Yeah, and it's totally about communication and organization. Teams yeah. just know what to expect when they come to one of our events. Yes. And you know whether they like us or not, they know what to expect. We don't change things. So it's all about organization, communication. So, Drew, we're going to call them the McDonald's of tournaments, right? Consistent, whether it's in awesome. in Chicago, Des Moines, <laughs> or in Sao Paulo, right? It's the same. Was there a moment where you said, well, I could do this too? Or did you set out to be in this industry? I had no idea I would be in the industry. I was actually uh, worked in the ammonia refrigeration line of work all my life. And um, up to about eight years ago, I worked in that line of work and um, also did baseball and it took up a lot of my time. Baseball did. And I had a job where I could work a lot on baseball uh, and fast pitch. But, you know, when 2004 hit, I had a couple of health scares and I was working till three o'clock in the morning. And, you know, everybody from baseball world would see my emails coming out at three o'clock in the morning because <laughs> there was so much to do. So I eventually quit my job. Um, and just did baseball 100% of the time, which is pretty rewarding. Pushing through adversity, could you tell us what challenges have you faced in your business and what did you do to overcome them? Well, I think there's been a lot of challenges over the years and probably uh, some of the biggest challenges is uh, what it takes to actually run a business as far as being kosher with all the government rules and all the yeah. uh, employment rules and all that stuff is where do you find that out at? A lot of it's trial and error and a lot of trial and errors can be very costly to your company. <laughs> um, you know, so um, probably my first episode was um, I wanted to be a hundred percent kosher. So I'd say 2005, 2006, I got, uh, I sent in for a sales tax number to pay sales tax because I wanted to be um, 100% kosher in business. A uh, year later, I get audited for sales tax. And the reason I got audited is because I wasn't filling out the sales tax properly. And, <laughs> and so I got audited. And, you know, back then I was just Mr. Nice Guy. I didn't want to cause any problems. So I didn't contact the tax attorney or nothing. I just went in there with a box of receipts and and basically got nailed for about $48,000 worth of sales tax. Um, you know, those are learning experiences that cost you a lot of money. And back then I didn't have 48,000 and that was probably a year, a year's worth of uh, baseball entries. So those kinds of things um, you, you catch it all the time, uh, you know, from a 401k being 
an owner that has a lot of family working for you. The 401k has all kinds of rules to do to deal with family and how much money you can put in the 401ks. There's healthcare, there's you know, there's all kinds of things. So it's it's a lot of trial and error. And you just gotta find the right people that you trust and find the professionals in the industry um that you have to trust and use to get by every day. So so Drew, I want to ask a question to Bob. And um so you know for me personally, I know Bob really well and uh we've we've become friends and we've partnered up and you know a lot of people know that. But uh one of the things that he mentioned on was was working with family. And I want him to share part of his experience because when he works with family, Bob really means family. Like his wife, uh, two kids work with him. And I want him to explain what that means when you start hiring beyond family and how those interactions affect the workplace. Because it's something that most companies start out with. They start out with family and then you bring on other people. And oftentimes you see either special treatment or they can do something and they they really don't have consequences, but you're trying to build a company that is built around consequences so you can be efficient, right? So Bob, would you tell us just a little bit about some of your experiences with, you know, your working situation? Yeah, over the years, um, I probably hired my first employee about 10 years ago, and that was scary to to have that cost. <laughs> but my kids always came home from college and worked in the summer and worked for me. That's basically when we ran most of our events. So it worked out good. Today, we have 11 employees. And besides myself, I got my wife, two boys and their wives. So I got six of us all together out of the 11 that are family. And it presents problems. I mean, there's pros and cons. Pros are you get to see them every day. I get to see, you know, there's a lot of people in this world would love to work with their kids. The cons is their family but yet you have to treat them as an employee. So they think because they're family, sometimes they can come in at 8.30 while everybody else is coming at 8. So, I mean, that's always an issue. Um, Non-family employees always probably in their mind, whether they say it or not, um, probably say they get special treatment. I try not to do that. And believe me, it's a tough balancing act (laughs) to have family members working for you. But bottom line is, you know them, you trust them, and you know it's hard. It it's you know they're they're going to be there for you because they are family. You talked yeah. about turning your business more kosher, which I'm going to take that from. Um, maybe not having just paper receipts and putting a bit of a professional edge on it. At the same time, is that when you started to hire non-family specific employees, right? So it goes from it goes from a passion and a pastime to uh, an official business with good bookkeeping. And now you're having to pay someone's salary. Was that about the same time frame? Um, I would say back eight years ago, I hired my first guy, um, Danny Kern, who's a terrific guy. Um, probably two years later, my son graduated from college and he started on, he graduated in the financial industry. So he does all my bookkeeping and all my accounting. My wife's um, quit her realtor work, you know, the same time we hired Danny on. Um, I basically am a 
it was a business that really truly started out of the house. I mean, we build we build our own trophies and awards back then. We still do it today. My wife built them in the basement of our house. I stored all the trophy parts in the garage. Um, so Danny used to come spend time in my house in the office there, and that's the way we started out. And uh, you know, a few years later, when I quit my job, it was time to go out and get a an office. So we had a what is it? 18 by 36 office that we built trophies out of and uh, worked out of. And pretty soon we didn't have room for all the trophies anymore. So we ended up buying a couple railroad containers to put all the trophies in. Uh, And then we ran out of room there for all the baseballs and stuff. So, yeah. And Drew, I think I have a a story. A lot of people have heard the frames, especially if they've read the book, they get to hear a little bit about the framing operation, but something they don't get a chance to hear about is uh, our first attempt at hiring graphic designers, which uh, really like listening to Bob's story sets home. It wasn't family, but what I did was I went into a local high school and I gave a speech to a graphic design class and that we were recruiting designers. And we didn't have an actual office because, you know, we have a mobile type business. And so we were working out of my house. So we set up interviews at a local library and so we interview all these kids and then whenever we decided to hire all of them, like Bob, I'm a super softy and I love everyone and I think everyone deserves a chance. And so we bring everyone in. But whenever I tell them where we're meeting for training, <laughs> it's, it's literally in my garage. OK, and so I get all of these parents because remember, these are high school kids and all of these parents show up and I ask them to, to come with their parents. And they were so concerned when they pull in that it's an actual house. And so everyone has this major concern for their child's safety, which they rightfully should have. And so we teach these. Yeah, we sit around and we teach these kids how to make posters. Well, it was funny because <laughs> after the first weekend, I made a joke to everyone. And I said, well, guys, if your checks bounce, you know that it means we didn't make it. So don't worry about coming back next week. Well, this is a funny joke. haha, whatever. Well, I had just ordered our first professional checks. You know, I was like I was really on point and I put the wrong account number on there. So I give out all these checks and every single check bounces. So all of a sudden I start getting all these phone calls from people. And this is not from the kids. These are from parents. Okay. So now they thought I was a scam. Then they trust me. Now we're back to scam status. Okay. And so at that point, there was a ton of reassuring that I made the mistakes. And then, you know, we obviously paid them and we had our old school checkbook that was literally like one that, uh, you know, you would have back then. And I just wrote them personal checks. And you know, from there, it's just history. But it's very similar. We were in a garage. And, and for a long time, our designers worked in our garage. And so we would convert it on the weekends to a poster place, a, a graphic design studio. And then during the week, we would move the tables off to the sides. So we could park our cars in the garage. And you know, then over time, we like Bob, we grew. And you know what's funny, though, for, <clears throat> for anyone out there listening that might know Bob, one thing that we found was every time we came to Bob's office, this little bitty office he had, it was so inspiring for us because he had desks that were organized. Are there any common themes or, or common mistakes that you see young entrepreneurs making today? Well, I would say that a lot of people probably will like to copy people and do what they're doing. But Chad, you know, has the best mm-hmm. and the most technology advanced company you'd ever meet. Um, Most people probably don't know that by just going out and ordering a poster, but I would say Chad put the hard work in and you're not going to ever duplicate that just by wanting to start a business. He started and experimented and I mean, he's got 
12 years in on this and you just can't do that. So it takes a lot of hard work. Um, and, you know, in today's society, I think a lot of people just want that given to them. And none of this was given to us. And, you know, deep down inside, if you have a great idea, it's one thing to have it, but it's another it's another thing to go out and conquer that idea. And uh, hard work is is the key. It really is. You got to put the hours in and um, without really doing the work, you, you will never have the same product like Chad has. There's just it's impossible. Hey, Drew, I have a question I want to ask Bob about that same topic that you're asking. I think one thing that I see, and I want to know if you find this to be a common theme, but a lot of the younger generation, they have an interest that's starting at the top as opposed to really working their way up. They feel that, you know, it's like if you graduate college, this piece of paper gives you an entitlement. Whereas uh, I'm not sure, do you ever see that when it comes to the younger generation? Yeah, I mean, I I see it with my own family um, a lot, and I see it with a lot of people that I run across. You know, we hire a lot of seasonal help. Um, a lot of that seasonal help, you'll catch seventy five percent of the people awesome. You know, they work hard and stuff. But there's that twenty five percent that. Hey, Drew. We have to even just side note to make sure that we point out innovation comes from not having a phone and not having the internet. To today, relying on that. Without that, you could you imagine starting over today back in that day? <clears throat> yeah, well, basically, basically, innovation is all about interaction with your customer. And our customer happens to be moms and dads, players, coaches, and stuff like that. So to be innovative with our industry now, uh, number one, it's all about communication with those parents. It's uh, emails, text messages, and all that. Um, Number two is it's all about why would this team come to my event over other events? Moderately successful businesses, that's just, they just completely miss that. Like they're, they're so unattuned to their customers and their customer needs. But you know, abstract or, or separate from having technology, I'm sure if someone wrote you, a, they took the time to write you a letter or fill in, a, uh, or if you sent out a team schedule, I'm sure you even in that little moment added a bit of customer service too, right? I mean, did you say thank you on a, on a thank you note? Did you shake someone's hand and look them in the eyes? You know, like these things, you know, maybe that was your advantage early on. Yeah, I think, I think that's the way everybody starts out every weekend. I was at the ballpark shaking hands and meeting all the teams. Um, you know, unfortunately nowadays when you're so busy, we're working on the following weekend tournament that I don't always get out to the ballparks anymore. And it's kind of sad. So you hire people that are good spokesmen for your company and you really got to trust your tournament directors that come in contact with your folks every day. Um, that's very, very important. I don't like the fact that I can't be at the ballpark meeting and greeting people. Um, you know, it's just so rewarding when a coach you meet at when their kid's eight year old and every year they come back when they're nine to 10, 11, 12, I go up the year 14 year olds. And just to see the journey that coach goes through with us from eight year olds to 14 year olds, it's kind of really sad. And we get a lot of emails from coaches saying, Hey, this is our last year triple say central Iowa sports tournament. It really is sad because this is a family and you know, we spent a lot of time together on yeah. the fields and, and a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls <laughs> back and forth. Um, 
you know, and it's, it's, it's really cool how we, how we really are a family. And what's really cool too, is I see all these kids, see all their names, see all the coaches, and then they get to the high school level and pretty soon you see them on TV and you hear oh, about cool. them, you hear about that's them really playing cool. baseball or basketball. And then in, they go to college and some of them get that D one scholarship. And it's really cool to see, see how they grow up from, coming to the ballpark and playing wiffle ball to to go in college yeah yeah we see it hey drew i, I want to add something to, to what bob said that i think has made them so successful and something that for anyone anyone building a company or even contemplating it you want to make sure that you never lose sight of and that is <clears throat> as you scale and as you grow you can't lose touch with the customer <clears throat> excuse me drew sorry but you can't lose touch with the customer and what they actually want and sometimes it's also important to realize that just because someone's complaining, it doesn't necessarily, I don't I want to make sure I say this right, Drew. So hang tight. Let me think about this, but I'm going to pause for a second to give us a chance to splice this. But so it's important to recognize what a customer's needs are and if they're just complaining. Okay. Because oftentimes in the business like Bob is in, you know, if, if someone took note and really grabbed what he said in the beginning, they have six or 7,000 teams that play in an event uh, throughout the course of a season. Okay, so if you do that number just times 10 kids to be safe, that's 70,000 kids that are there. And if you do that times 1.5 parents, all of a sudden we are at over 100 and, you know, I don't know what, 105,000 parents. Imagine Bob's industry, Drew, and imagine that <clears throat> on a baseball game, when a call happens that's a close call, 50% of the people are happy and 50% are angry. Yeah, and, and I, I think it, it goes back to something I've heard you say, Chad. But the, the question, Bob, is, you know, to you, what, what does success look like and how do you know when you've achieved it? It's very simple. Success is when I hear a team say, you know, maybe a Kansas City team came over and played in our event, and they tell another team, hey, you got to go hit a Central Iowa sports event. Um, we want that experience to be a number one. We want you to walk away from the ballpark um, happy. And they uh, repeat customers. Um, we have people that play 10 tournaments with us a year. Success to me is filling the ballparks and Having families walk out of that ballpark, win or lose, just really enjoyed their weekend. I mean, you know, you're a parent, you spend eight hours a weekend with your kid at an event. We want you to be happy. I think that that's the stuff that I learned from guys like Bob, and that's why they are great mentors, because they never preach dollars and cents. They preach doing the right thing and having the right expectations, not only in business, but if you do it right, they correlate and they translate into life. And the reason Bob is successful is because he cares and it, it trickles down through every person that works for him. It trickles down through their company. And we try as hard as we can to mirror that. And for me personally, success is about freedom. It's about being able to work with your friends and your family and watch them thrive in, in a system that, you know, you committed a lot of risk and time into and you put all of your heart and soul into it. And not only has it, it given you a great opportunity, it's given other people opportunities 
along the way, you've created great moment, you know, moments in time for people with Bob, as far as an experience goes, we provide them a tangible product to remember that experience. And, you know, again, success for me is the same thing as it is for Bob, but mine is I want Bob to be happy. We want his customers to be happy because the cool part is, is his customers become our customers. And at the end of the day, it's a smaller world than you realize. And I would have never dreamed, and I can almost guarantee you, Bob would have never dreamed the first day we met, the first tournament I worked, that I would know more people in the tournament industry than Bob would, you know, that I would have as many contacts. And it's only because we learn from Bob and we treat every person as if they're Bob. And whenever we get people to ask us advice on their events or what we've seen, the number one thing we always tell them is you have to run the event company like Central Iowa Sports. To me, it's a compliment, and I hope that Bob sees our uh, the way we think of their company as success also, because you know, for them, I am not a biased opinion. I do not have to say that just because he's on here. Bob and I have a really good friendship to where I wouldn't say that if I didn't mean it, and he, you know, he's laughing right now, but th- it's the truth. And you know, Drew, we've talked about what will make you successful is the same thing. We, you have to deliver and you have to be honest, and you know, doing those types of things bring success. Money is nothing more than the result of how well you spend your time. If you do things well, money seems to follow. Yeah, and I'll add one more thing too, is the thing I do every off season is I say, what can we do to be better next year? Work hard, play hard is what I kind of live by if people know me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I actually work probably 12 hours a day, seven <laughs> days a week when I'm in Des Moines, Iowa. Don't you love that? Like the perfect quote for us right now. So Bob, what is that one piece of advice that you'd give yourself at 18? I would say look for opportunities. Um, There's nothing better than owning your own business. Um, Nothing in the world is better than owning your own business. You are at your own discretion. I mean, what you put into it was what you're going to get out of it. All right, Bob. So we really appreciate it. I know this was painful to get you on here, but as a first guest, personally, I couldn't ask for a better one and I hope you've enjoyed it. Hopefully it wasn't too painful for you. Was I actually the first guest? You're our first guest that we chose because yes. yeah, we wanted to wait. It's time to retire now. That's right. Bob's done. He can. He's going to put it in. He might even listen to this one. I got to so, go back to work. Yeah. All right. So we're going to end this episode with uh, our quote, which we're going to start next episode with. And it's uh, a famous quote by Stephen Covey. And it's, I'm not the product of my circumstances. I'm the product of my decisions. This has been another episode of the Poster Boy Podcast, brought to you by utproducts.com. Find and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at theposterboybook.com to grab your copy of the book.